Matthew chapter 1. I want to second uh, what Brother Max said. Um, I am I am excited about each one of you being here this morning, and it's great to get to assemble together, and so thankful. I'm so thankful that we get to have church. Amen. So thankful that we get to be together, and I use that word be on purpose, that we get to be together, and for everyone that is able to be with us through the live stream, I am thankful for you as well. It is a blessing to get to be together, to get to assemble, and we certainly do need it, and our Lord's worthy of it. I appreciated what Brother Vice said during the offering, that giving is supposed to be an act. It's an effort to honor the Lord in some way and demonstrate our reverence, demonstrate our love, how we value him. And, and I, if you're following the service and thinking about it, we have the act of worship. Then we have the act of praising. We have the act of giving. And all of these things are, are directed towards him. You say, why do we do those things? They seem kind of, out, they, they seem kind of old-fashioned. Well, they're biblical. Yeah. Old Testament to New Testament, you say, how did they interact with God? They worshiped him. They gave to him. They praised him. That's what they did. Okay, I'm excited about it. Anyway, I'm thankful for it. And so now we get to the preaching. Matthew chapter 1, um, obviously it's the Christmas season, and wanna, I want to deal with some truth. I'm, I'm making an effort to tie this into what we've been dealing with the last few weeks about the look of light and the light of Jesus Christ. And we're going to come deal with some aspects of the entrance of the light and so beginning in verse number one of Matthew chapter one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren and Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Thamar and Perez begat, begat Ezram and Ezram begat Aram and Aram begat Aminadab and Aminadab begat Nason. And Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Urias, and Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Joatham. And uh, Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias, and his brethren, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud, and Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. Stop right there. From verse 1 through the middle of verse 16 are briefly mentioned the names who represent thousands of years of stories and events that were very messy. You read about a king that committed adultery and murder. 
You read about a man who lied about his wife because he was afraid. You read about a woman who, when she was saved, was a harlot, a prostitute. You read about a woman who was a foreigner, who uh, was filled with the baggage of a dead husband and a bitter mother-in-law. You read about kings who rejected God. A mess. But at the end of verse 16, we see the masterpiece. Don't look at it yet. From that mess, God brought forth the masterpiece. That is Jesus Christ. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Out of the messes, he brought the masterpiece. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. At this time, we'll have a special, and then we'll get into the preaching.
All right. It was impossible from our perspective, wasn't it? And yet with God, all things are possible. And I'm thankful, so thankful that they are, and that salvation is possible because of Jesus Christ. When Andrea and I uh, were uh, earlier on in our marriage, one of the shows that we enjoyed watching together, Bob Ross. How many of you have ever heard of Bob? Man, y'all are missing out. That's why they created YouTube, people, so that you could be informed about important historical figures. Bob Ross was, this is the way I describe it, and maybe those who are more knowledgeable would, would differ, but to me, he was kind of an every man's painter. He's a very famous artist that was very down to earth, and and it was his idea to make himself uh, accessible to the masses. He wasn't what you would call a highfalutin artist that was out of touch. He loved to reach out to ordinary people. In fact, he started a show uh, that, that lasted for several years called The Joy of Painting that was on PBS. Um, during the lockdown, BBC aired the, the entire series, I think, over the course of that. Uh, period that that continues to be ongoing. He was known, Bob Ross was known for his gentle voice and easy smile and big hair. And I loved the big hair. (laughs) He inspired thousands, maybe millions, uh, to paint or at least to attempt to paint. (laughs) You know, you you watch people who are really good at something make it look easy and you buy into the lie. I can do that. And then you try it, <laughs> and you realize it's a lie. <laughs> uh, he, he, it's estimated that he did more than 30,000 paintings uh, over the course of his life. He was known for some very unique sayings, and he would, he would often repeat these sayings during the, the course of his show. And every, every show, he would mention maybe several of these or some of these, but one of his most popular sayings or most well-known sayings was this, we don't make mistakes, just happy little accidents. I was, I was on a painting date. That is a thing. I was on a painting date with Miss Jerry Jessup. And if you care about your marriage, you will sign up, you will pay her, and you'll go on a painting date at her house. And she's in there all happy, very Bob Ross-like. <laughs> and I'm all stressed out. And I'm, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. No idea. Say what technique, what stroke, what style brush. I don't know. I was putting paint on something. And I'm like, Miss Jerry, this isn't working. And she would go, Pastor, it's okay. It'll be all right. Well, that's how Bob Ross was. We don't have mistakes. Just have these happy Little accidents. I wish I could incorporate, sorry, I'm getting distracted here for a moment. I just thought of this. I wish I could incorporate that into my parenting. You know, when my kids are spilling milk all over the place and breaking dishes and putting holes in my wall. It's okay. There's no mistakes, just happy accidents. Not allowed to have happy accidents in my house. Hallelujah. Anyway, 
See, Bob Ross understood. Miss Jerry understands this. And others who have any success as an artist, um, they, they understand this. That you're going to have times when you, you don't make the stroke exactly right or the color needs to be adjusted or the shape isn't exactly right. And so you're, you're going to have things that aren't exactly as you wanted to, them to be. But they don't have to ruin a painting. And whether or not you agree with exactly what Bob Ross was saying, he understood that just because you didn't do that particular part exactly right, the painting can still be something valuable. And if the artist has the right level of skill, then he can take what seems or she can take what seems to be a mistake and incorporate it into producing something that is very valuable, that is very special. The birth of Jesus Christ, the unfolding of God's redemptive plan, and please give consideration to when we talk about the birth of Jesus Christ, we're not talking about this isolated event that's just nostalgic and valuable, and we love to think about the nativity scene and all that went on, and just view that in its own context. That event it must be, to be appreciated, must be understood within the greater context of the redemptive work of God. And the reason Jesus' coming was so significant is why he came, and that is so that he could die. And so anytime we enjoy Christmas trees, we enjoy nativity scenes, we ought to always have in our view the cross on which he died and the tomb from which he rose, because this was was the, the beginning on earth. This was the beginning of the unfolding of the redemptive plan of God. And this was brought about through some very unique characters. Now, they were all, everyone we mentioned, until the name Jesus, who is called Christ, they were all sinners. Now, some of them, like the kings that we read about, you have the Manassas, the Jeconiases, and others, they were rebellious, and they deliberately set their heart against God. They gave themselves over to do evil, and they resisted his authority and his rule in their lives. Some had lapses in judgment and made bad decisions. They, They were men like King David, whom the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, and yet as he got as he became greater in power and authority, and as his kingdom increased, his, uh, his devotion to God waned a little bit, and his passion for God waned, and he got really comfortable, and he got really satisfied, and he developed what so many of God's children are capable of developing, and that is some entitlement. I'm doing so well, and things are going so good. I can just relax and take it easy, and I don't, I don't have to be really as careful as I normally am. And when he should have been in, at the war front, leading his soldiers at the time that kings go forth to battle is how the text describes it when he should have been there with his generals he's up on this rooftop and he sees a woman and 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 it's secondary point that she was the wife of another that only adds to the evil the fact is she was not his wife period And it should have stopped there. And whatever images were going through his mind should have been dealt with in his mind. And he should have humbled himself and asked for God's forgiveness just for the thought. 
but because he's the king and because he's great and because nothing is no pleasure is withheld from him he calls her and she comes to him and they have an illicit relationship and then because she is with child he seeks to cover it up and then rather trying to be right with God he seeks to make it right his own way and orders her husband to the closest part of the battle after his conniving at home didn't work and then has everyone pulled back so that he dies when he should not have died. That was all on David's head. You have David's son Solomon who was born from that particular relationship later when David and Bathsheba were married. You have Solomon, man of great wisdom, yet whose heart was turned away by the wrong kind of women in romantic relationships. And in his, many of his years, he worshipped other gods than the true God. You have people like Rahab, who before she met the people of God, before she came to know God for herself, lived a life of immorality. I mentioned Ruth. You talk about Abraham, you talk about the, a man who was obviously a man of great faith, but his wife is a beautiful woman, and he's concerned that someone might want to kill him because of how beautiful she is. And they, they, there was a, they were, they were step siblings, and yet they were married. And so he says to tell, tell these people that pose a threat to me that you're just my sister in order to protect me, demonstrating no faith in God and being completely controlled by fear. You have someone like Ruth, just, just a social misfit. You see, not, not by anything that she did wrong. Please don't misunderstand that. But there are people that have a hard time in a society and a culture through no fault of her, their own. And they are just considered to be social misfits and they're not valued. And there's no significance placed on them. And they're just just kind of ignored. And it might be because of social status. It might be because of race. It might be because of poverty. It might be because of some kind of tragedy. And they're just not really worth the time. But that's where Ruth was. She, she was not a Jew, which was a mark against her. She was a, a, a widower. Or excuse, am I saying that right? Yes, no. Widow, good night. I'm losing my mind up here. Sorry, thank you. She was a widow. She had a mother-in-law who was very bitter. She was a foreigner in a strange land. She's out there in the fields working in the way that God commanded the poor people to work in order to be able to survive she, she's living a very difficult life with seemingly no light at the end of the tunnel. A life just filled with baggage and difficulty. It was through these characters, through these flawed, broken, and burdened people that we arrive at verse number 16. I just want to read his name again and Let it wash over you. Jesus, who is called Christ. This Jesus is our Savior. This morning, we don't hope for salvation. We have the hope of salvation 
We're not working to try to get it. We have received it from the work that he has done. This Jesus brings us into a relationship with God Almighty. This Jesus washes away every sin and every stain. This Jesus will one day rule the nations and all of the calamity and all of the turmoil and all of the vitriol that is going on in our nation and the uncertainty around the world and the manipulation and the hypocrisy. It will all be brought to dust. This Jesus will bring peace on this earth one day. And in the time being, he is able to bring peace into your heart even now. This Jesus came from those people. That, that lineage was used to preserve, was preserved through the failure, through the rebellion, through the baggage and the burdens. That lineage was preserved until we arrive at a virgin who through the, the miraculous work of the Holy Ghost of God became with child, was born of a virgin, was without the sin nature that was passed down through every father in that lineage. That Jesus is our great God. And he isn't just the masterpiece of this text He's the masterpiece of all time. The masterpiece of salvation was brought into the world through a long lineage of messes and mess-ups. And with all due respect to Bob Ross, and I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed his show, but with all due respect to him, these weren't happy little accidents. These were deliberate acts of rebellion. These were intentional acts of sin. These were on purpose failures. These were burdens of wickedness and violence and immorality that wrought great devastation. Only the most skilled of artists could bring the masterpiece of Jesus Christ into the world through the smears and the slips and the splotches of this list. Only the most skilled artist could bring the masterpiece of Jesus through the mess of this list. And that's exactly who God is. He is the most skilled artist. I have paintings in my house that my mother-in-law did. Mama Kay, she's way more talented than my father-in-law. I hope you heard that, Big Jim. <laughs> and she, she's, she is an artist. She's painted hundreds of paintings, have some in our home, and we enjoy them. She's very skilled. I've seen some of Miss Jerry's paintings, and she is very skilled. And I even have one of hers in my office, a beautiful scene of the, in the distance, the cross, and in the forefront, the tomb out of which Jesus Christ rose, the tomb that is empty. And, and I've, seen, I've seen the works of artists who 
far exceed the skill of Mama Kay, my mother-in-law, and Miss Jerry Jessup. I've seen the works of people who are considered to be brilliant, but only the most brilliant, skilled artist could bring out of this mess such an incredible masterpiece. Because if you study art, you know this. It is possible to make so many mistakes that you just discard the whole canvas and you have to start over. But God didn't start over. He just kept working. And even when Adam and Eve had perfection, even when they had everything right, and God could have just done away with them, when at the flood, God could have done away with everyone, but Noah found grace. Noah, listen, Noah was better than all these other wicked people, but he wasn't perfect before God. He found grace in the eyes of God. He wasn't a sinless man. He simply chose to believe that God is and humble himself before him. And there is always grace with God for those who will admit their sin and humble themselves before him. No, throughout history we see people who could have just been discarded and thrown away because the baggage and the failure was too much. But that's not who God is. Like the song says, like it's demonstrated with Jeremiah, I believe. He doesn't throw the clay away. He is a master artist. He is a master craftsman. And in spite of intentional rebellion, in spite of failure and mess-ups and selfishness and slips and splotches and all that we can do wrong, he was still able to accomplish his masterpiece. He worked through and around the messes of humanity to bring into the world the masterpiece of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you a disclaimer and then I want to give you some happy thoughts. Number one, please, please get this. This is not an endorsement of sinful behavior. The fact that God records how these people behaved does not mean that he endorses and approves of how they behaved. It's a record as an example to warn us, to help us, It's a record to show how great he is and how truly messed up humankind can be. It's not an endorsement of sinful behavior. And if you think, well, then I guess I can just do whatever I want and it's all good. No, that's the wrong way to think. And that leads to disclaimer number two. Sinful behavior always has consequences. Even though God worked through the life of David... David's life got unnecessarily complicated and messed up and sorrowful because of his sin. One brother murdered another brother. Two sons, two of David's sons, one of his sons murdered another of his sons. Two of his sons tried to commit treason and lead revolts against him and take the throne. He suffered great loss because of his sin. We don't, we don't need to have this idea that, oh, well, isn't, isn't Je- Jesus, is, Jesus is just the happy Bob Ross, and it doesn't, if we just make a mistake, he's just going to smile and pat us on the head, and it's going to be okay. No, God is still a holy God, and sin still has consequences. And young people, you need, you need to get this in your heads and in your hearts, that you have the ability to live your life how you want to. Husbands and wives, moms and dads, get this in your soul. Whether you are young or not so young anymore, the decisions that you make have real life, real time consequences. 
So it's not, this shouldn't produce in us this kind of careless, cavalier, chill attitude where it's like, oh man, Jesus is just, he's just like a cool artist with big hair. It's just, it's just happy little accidents. No, sin has consequences. But here's the point, that no matter how messed up, no matter how broken or how rebellious, he's still in control. And his compassion for you far exceeds your ability to comprehend. So let me give you some happy thoughts. Y'all might as well smile about this. It's good. Number one, man's rebellion makes life difficult. But it can't stop God's purpose. You know, I'm I'm not going to get into the, the specifics of it. If you need me to explain it, I'll do so later. If you just briefly survey what is going on in our nation, it can be summed up in this way. It is the evidence of man's rebellion against God. All of this hatred, all of this animosity, all of this deceit, all of this selfishness, all of this effort to manipulate, all of the hypocrisy. Okay, I am going to get specific. When governors are shutting down small businesses and then going and having their own parties, when mayors are making videos that people need to stay home from locations in Mexico, that is hypocrisy. And it's godless. And you want to get together and have your parties but tell a church they can't assemble, it's hypocrisy. Okay, I said it. You know what that is? You know what that is? That is man rejecting God. You know what's going on right now in this nation? You need to be aware of this. This isn't a Republican versus Democrat issue. This is a man versus God issue. And the reason it's getting so crazy and the reason it's getting so hostile, I don't care what side of the political aisle you land on, your personal view should never produce hatred and hostility for people that disagree with you. And the reason it is so hostile and the reason it is getting so increasingly out of control and obviously hypocritical is because man is rejecting God. And when you won't let God rule, you can't have his peace. And it manifests itself in every way. Can I tell you? It's going to make things, it's going to increasingly make things inconvenient and difficult and frustrating. It is. But can I remind you as a Christian, our hope is not ultimately in the American flag. It's in who Jesus Christ is. And in the end, when we're in heaven, it's not about what nation because they're there from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we are under one banner, and that's the banner of the cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lamb of God, whoever lives to make intercession for us. And while things may get difficult, and while rebellious men and women can make life hard, they cannot stop the plan of God. Now, that's on a national scene. Let me bring it down to your life. Rebellious people in your life can make it hard. A rebellious husband can make life really hard on his wife and his children. A rebellious woman can devastate a family. A rebellious child can really break the hearts of their parents. 
But I want to remind you that no matter where the bubble is in your life and no matter what kind of chaos has been brought to bear because of rebellion by other people around you, it cannot stop the purpose of the Almighty God. And even when you think this life is just a mess and I don't know what's going to happen, God still has a purpose for your life and He is still working and He is still in control and you don't need to give up just because other people are messing up. You keep following him. Number two, happy truth number two. I wish I had a wig because I would put it on every time I say this. I'm envisioning doing it right now. Happy truth number two. Your mistakes may make your life messy. But they don't ruin God's love for you. I hurt for David. You know why I hurt for David? Because it didn't have to be that way. You were selfish, and you were stubborn, and you went down a road that you didn't have to go down. And it didn't just make your life messed up. It cost other people their lives. Innocent people that were loyal to you, died. I hurt. I hurt for our nation's leaders, whether I politically agree with them or not, because they are making messes that don't just affect them, but they will have to answer for them, and I fear for them. No, before God, they will have to answer for them But they're making messes, and those messes aren't just affecting them. It's affecting thousands and thousands of other people. My heart hurts for me when I've made a mess in anger. I have to look at my kids and say, I'm sorry. And in selfishness or pride, I can do something that hurts someone else's spirit. My heart hurts for you. When I preach truth that I know you need, that you know you need, and yet in a hard heart, you go your own way. I see the wake of those messes. But I want to remind you, unseen, there is a master artist who has his brush on the canvas of your life. And just because you've messed something up, he doesn't put that brush down. And masterfully and gently He works over and over and over again to produce something that will bring glory to him and that will be good for you. I want to tell you, he has never taken the canvas of one of the lives of his children and chucked it. You say it may not turn out the way it could have, 
but it still turns out in a way to bring honor and glory to him. And let's okay, here's what we can do. Here's the mistake we can make here. We can think about somebody we know and say, well, they really made a mess. Okay, two things. Number one, we've all made messes. Second thing, if your mess was enough that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross to save you, you probably shouldn't be comparing yourself to other people. You should probably just say, God, thank you that I haven't made certain messes. I'm, I am capable of making them. That was part of David's problem. He forgot what he was capable of. No, I am capable of making any mess that anyone has ever made. And if I haven't, I want to thank you for the grace of God that I haven't made those messes. And if my life was enough that Jesus had to die on the cross, I just need to keep my focus on you and rejoice that you just keep working over and over again. And, it, and, and I'm not being irreverent here, but just in the same way that someone like Bob Ross would smile into a camera and would encourage people when their brush slipped or when they didn't have the right color or when their shape or their stroke wasn't exactly right. And he would explain, listen, just make these adjustments and and, and this can turn out into something valuable. Even when you've made a giant mess of your life, God, when you put your life in his hands and you humble yourself and you have a repentant spirit and you begin to obey him, he can make something masterful with your life. You can't ruin his love for you. Last thing, your baggage can make life challenging but it's not going to prevent God from using you for his purpose. <laughs> you can see this in scripture. I'm not, for the sake of time, I'm not going to detail it. But you can, you can see this attitude in scripture. Man, God's not going to use those people. Why are you talking to her? What, what are they doing here? And then here they end up in the genealogy, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't ever get tired of that. Somebody comes in and they have the look of someone with baggage. Hey, let me remind you in your religious conceitedness, you can hide baggage. Some of you act like you don't have any and you probably have a whole lot. You just need to bring to the Jesus. A suit doesn't cover up baggage from God. You say, I've got this in my life, I've got this burden, I've got this weight, I've got this failure, I've got this mistake, it was an honest mistake, I've got, I've got this trial, whatever it is. Can I tell you, God's not ashamed of you and God's not afraid of you? <laughs> He's not ashamed of you. You know why? Because Jesus bore all that shame on the cross. Everything that you can ever bow your head in shame over Jesus was already embarrassed, bore that shame for you when he died on the cross. He, he took that shame. He literally brought it upon himself so that whatever thought causes you to blush, he bore it for you already. He's not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed by you. you ever, are you ever embarrassed by the name of Jesus? You ever not speak up when you should speak up? Because I, I, I don't want people to think I'm weird. He's not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed by you. And he, as he is willing according to his good wisdom, he can use you for his purpose. 
You say I messed up. He still got purpose. Hey, 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 here's how you know. Are you ready? Here's how you know. Are you alive right now? <laughs> Some of you are trying to think about it. You're like, I'm not real sure. If you're alive right now, God has purpose for you. I don't know all the story. I don't know all the details. I just know he is, and with your life, he is still painting. Sitting in, sitting in Ms. Jerry's house on my painting date. She encouraged me this way. Just keep going. It will eventually turn out. It'll turn out. In your life, the master has a brush. If you'll submit to him, if you'll humble yourself, it'll turn out. He's not going to stop. You've got to be willing to humble yourself and be obedient to him. So, Here's the statement. God can work through the messes to accomplish his masterpiece. We see that in Christmas. He worked through the messes of the masses to accomplish the masterpiece of our salvation. Well, he can do the same in your life. So if you're rebellious this morning, you may, you may hurt people. But you're not going to stop God's purpose. You may have failed, but God hasn't thrown you away. You may have baggage that is because of you or because of what other people have done to you. But God isn't going to discard you. He's not afraid of you. He's not ashamed of you. You say, how, how, do I, how do I allow him to accomplish his work in my life? You start by this, number one. Number one, do you know you're saved? Do you know you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a moment when you understood, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to be my Savior, and you put your faith in him alone? Salvation is not something we do. It is something that is given to us through faith, and we call on Jesus, and he saves us. Number two, are you trying to live your life to be obedient to him? Say, I've really messed up. Ask him to forgive you and start from there. You say, I'm really struggling with the, this baggage in my life, and I don't know what to do. Do what you know you're supposed to do. So many people spin their wheels worrying about what they don't know instead of focusing on what they do know. What is it that you're supposed to do right now? What, what act, what action do you need to take right now? And most of all, remember that the God who painted the masterpiece of Jesus Christ through the messes of these genealogies that same God is painting in your life. He hasn't give that, given up on you, so don't give up on yourself. He hasn't given up on others, so you don't give up on others. He holds that brush. You keep letting him work. Let's all stand together.